Hello and welcome to the latest ENVCAST episode. Uh, ENVCAST is a Society for the Environment podcast bringing you environmental professionals in conversation each month. My name's Phil Underwood, I'm the Engagement Manager here at the Society for the Environment and I'm going to be with you for this particular podcast. Our podcasts are designed to provide insight into the lives of registered environmental professionals featuring experts from across a wide range of sectors and disciplines. We explore what they do, why they do it, how they got to where they are now, and their future ambitions. Each guest is registered as a chartered environmentalist, registered environmental practitioner, or registered environmental technician via one of our professional body partners, and they are known as our licensed members. As such, they have each been externally verified to firm that they are committed to good, practice in the environmental work that they do. To learn more about the Society for the Environment, our environmental registrations, and indeed our licensed members, please visit socenv.org.uk to find out more. Enjoy the podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by David Inman, CMV. Uh, David is uh, registered as a Chartered Environmentalist via the RICS, which is the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. Uh, but he's also a practitioner member of IEMA, which is another one of our licensed member professional bodies. Um, good morning, David. How are things this fine morning? Good morning. The, the, the strange yellow thing out is out in the sky, which we've not seen for a while. It's <laughs> summer here in Merseyside and... I hope it's good where you're best also. It certainly is. I, I'm in I'm in the Midlands. Um I didn't realise you're gonna be a Merseyside. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Um so well, start off with, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we've met just the one time, which was at the RICS offices in Birmingham. It was. Um, RICS held a, a meeting for Society for the Environment, and I was asked right. to say a few words on behalf of RICS. So it, it was really good to see. All the, cons- all the constituent bodies there. And until you get everybody in a room, which unfortunately we can't do at the moment because of the pandemic, you don't realise how many constituent bodies there are. The list doesn't do it justice. It was, it was quite impressive, to be honest. This is true. There are quite a few member organisations of SOCEMV, uh, which we're very, very pleased about, actually. Um, but it feels like, I must admit, I've met you many times because you pop up on my uh, LinkedIn feed with various different videos that I watch. Um, so it feels like I've, watched, I've met you a few times, but uh, it is just the once in person. It is. I've got to say, you know, the way you interact with not just chartered environmentalists and, you know, the registered environmental technicians through the state of the environment. I think what SOCEM do on social media, in particular LinkedIn, is, is first class. So it's really good. And through the pandemic, I felt like I've actually come closer to the organisation. So, you know, it's something I've really appreciated. And, you know, thanks today for, you know, your time and letting me speak to you. Well, thank you very much. Um, that was a very unexpected compliment, but I'll pass that on to Sarah, who looks after our social media accounts very well. So we, we've, we've certainly tried to adapt during these times, as all, as all organisations have, really. So I'm glad it's working. Um, but because of those videos, I'm, very, I'm actually quite looking forward to this chat because I get the feeling that, A, you're not particularly shy, and B, um, you're quite passionate about what you do, which is excellent. And we're going to kind of explore that for a bit. Um, but to begin with, I've said that you're a chartered environmentalist via RSCS, but that's about it. So with all of our casts, I'm just going to hand over to you for a second, just to tell us a little bit about what you do as a job. So I'm a chartered environmental surveyor working for my own firm, DIEM Limited, based in Formby in Merseyside 
in normal times, I'm here, there and everywhere. And in 2020, I was supposed to be you know, dealing with sites from Glasgow down to Dorset. Pandemic, you know, changed the way of working. So I'm a fellow of RICS, maturity environmentalist. I'm quite involved in RICS at a local level in terms of I'm on the Northwest Regional Board. So we do interact quite carefully and have lots of engagement with members, you know, especially over the last year. I'm also a, an assessor and assessor chair for the RICS's assessment of professional competence, which I'm pleased to say I'm, a, I'm a, an assessor for the environmental surveying pathway, which is the pathway that I qualified as a chartered surveyor all those years ago. My work is mainly in the built environment. So I work in corporate real estate and facilities management mainly. But I've you know, historically a wide range of clients and I advise them on, I saw 14,001, 50,001, general ESG and CSR governance and development, and also a lot of compliance work. Uh, it's quite exciting at the moment that the corporate real estate investment work are really driving ISO 14001 for Gresby accreditation and, and benchmarking. So it's, it's a really exciting time for the built environment and especially the, the commercial property world for environmental management. Okay. Exciting is good in this changing world. Um, there's a lot of challenges out there. Um, how long have you had your own business? 15 years. It's going to be 16 years this year, so I've kind of got used to it by now. Okay, okay. Always based from based from home anyway? Always, despite always based the from home, yeah. Uh, yep. it's, it's always been myself. I find it's, it's, it's easy to deliver, deliver to clients that way. Uh, the downside is I am the accountant. I do make the tea. Uh, the, the only other person who gets involved in the business is some non-client confidential business development discussions with my wife who's also a great source of support and also my accountant who uh, does the, the legal bookkeeping side of things but everything else I do myself from business development and winning work social media side I find very important because it's effective and it's free and you do get to interact at a very influential level with stakeholders so yeah 15 years I'm quite okay. used to it now and always face does it feel like 15 years? No. It, no, no. It's flown by, I assume. It, it actually feels like about four separate roles because uh. there's, there's been a, 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 some shifts of clients. So when I first started off in 20, 2005, it was mainly construction clients. Then probably eight years after that, there was a shift to working mainly in facilities management. Now there's a shift to being split between facilities management and commercial property investment. So it's, it's been quite a nice organic journey through the whole realm, of the built environment. So I'm not just stuck at one thing. It's, it's, it's been a nice journey, to be honest. And who okay. knows where the journey's going, hopefully in the next 15 years. Excellent. And do you think, was that mainly those, those transitions, were they planned? Were they, were they kind of part planned? Did they kind of happen organically or...? It happened organically. Um, 20 years ago, I went for a job interview and I was talking about environmental management in property investments. And the person who interviewed me said, you're about 10, 15 years too early. And 20 years later, I'm where, I won't say I, I proposed the industry to be, you know, I wasn't that visionary, but I'm, I'm very comfortable. I thought, you know, 20 years ago, this is where 
roughly I wanted to be. But the, the change in the, the business has been organic. I've got some very long-term relationships with clients, but client work does come to an end. And I'm pleased to say all client work has come to an end very harmoniously and kept in touch. And yeah, and work does come to an end in consultancy. Mm. And it's how you manage that work, end it, make sure you've delivered it well, then you move on to the next job. And it has been, that has driven the organic change, to be honest, the, the move from, you know, long-term relationships from one client to another and, you know, one client's introduced me to another client and the, the, the same, you know, you're only as good as the last job and never burn your bridges. You know, 15 years ago when I set out on this sole practitioner path, I went straight back to the employer that I'd left and I'd worked for, then I worked working for a previous employer. Then I worked for an old boss of mine. So never burn your bridges. And when a business relationship comes to a, a, a natural end, treat it as a natural end. You know, nothing lasts forever. And I do see some people trying to desperately cling on to clients. And, you know, when the work's ended, be proud of yourself. You know, you've done a good job. And next. Yeah, adapt, move on, and mm. uh, make new successes out there. Um what you said earlier as well, I mean, so we, we talked to various uh, environmental professionals on, on Envcast and from lots of different backgrounds, working for large organizations, working for themselves and so on. But what you've said about the fact that you are, you know, you, know, you do the work, you are the accountant, you are um, you know, business development, social media, all of that kind of stuff that, you know, that all fits in within being, you know, self-employed and you can certainly do that as an environmental professional. Yes, um, I just well. think it's a really important thing. Well, you know, 60% of chartered surveyors are employed by SMEs, mm. which is an interesting statistic. Okay. Okay. Was um, being uh, having your own business always on the cards for you? Or again, was that? I, I always had an inkling, but I thought I'd be well, probably a little bit older than I am now. And it, it was to, towards the end of my career. It actually happened quite nicely. I, I worked for an organisation. We got audited through some environment. It wasn't a certification scheme, but it was an environmental award scheme. And the auditor worked for himself. And I, I just said to him one day, oh, I always fancy working for myself. And about two weeks later, he rung me back and said, are you serious? I went, yeah. And he said, look, if you thought about it, uh, there'd be some work via me through it. And I went, oh, that's, that's an interesting conversation. Spoke to a colleague of mine. He said, you know what? If you did that, I've got some work for you. Uh, was very honest with my employer, set up the company, handed him a notice, and as I said, within a few months, went back to my employer, and you know, I've kept good relationships with you know colleagues there over the years. But it was that break, and I thought, well, I'll give it a year. I can afford to do it for a year, and after a year, I'll review it. And the year went well. Then the financial banking crisis hit. And I weathered the storm through that. And I went to a very good RICS lecture called Survive and Thrive in the Recession. And I think that's what businesses have had to do during you know, the last year in the pandemic. So it's, it's, you've got to be adaptable. And it's just, just kept plodding on. You know, there's been no grand strategy. I'd say it might not sound very good, but there's been no grand strategy. But it's just been about delivering quality work, you know, sensibly priced to clients and that, that's been the driver all the way through the, the, the life of the business. 
Well, given what you said earlier about, you know, going from different types of work throughout the 15 years that you've been going, that obviously shows that adaptability uh, and being able to move with mm-hmm. what your clients are expecting and, you know, what people are looking for. And it's also different models of delivery. Some clients want to be seen as employing a consultancy firm. So we've engaged with DIM Limited to provide our professional services. Others aren't really that bothered who I work for. Uh, some people just want me. You know, I do subcontract work, so I work on behalf of other organisations. So you've got to be flexible and don't think, well, I've got this fantastic brand. Uh, I can only work under this brand. No, you've got to adapt. Yeah. You really have and be flexible and meet the needs of clients. And as, as I said, some aren't remotely bothered who you work for. They just want your services. Some just want me, I think, as an individual. Some want to be seen to be employing a consultancy firm. So, hmm. you know, even working for your own sole practitioner firm, you've got to be adaptable in the way you manage. Okay. Uh, you mentioned earlier a few things that you do as an organisation, as, as yourself. Um I'd like to just dig a little bit deeper into that, really. And so what what are the services that you offer? You mentioned ISO 14001 and things like that. Um, but what is it that you do? What what services do you provide to them? And how does that work? How does that benefit them? I provide a resource. And often, mainly, it's a resource that they don't have in-house. So I probably save organisations, I don't know, £100,000 a year in recruiting an environmental energy sustainability manager. And a flexible resource. So I will meet their demands and also instantly bring my expertise straight to the table. Don't forget, I've got 20 years experience in environmental auditing. So I can, you know, companies who it's a new journey and it's new for them. I think I've got quite a nice touch in explaining it. I do think a lot of companies are quite nervous and apprehensive about the sustainability journey and you know their environmental compliance and it's about making it easy for them you know not they can't palm off all the resp- responsibilities on me but make it understandable digestible and easy for them and i do the heavy lifting whether it is you know the low level document control for an ems whether it is the higher level compliance and negotiating with regulators whether it is dealing with certification bodies and i do find that most trepidation with people new to certification, is the certification audit. It strikes fear, and it shouldn't do. And it's my job to, one, technically deliver it, two, manage it, and three, guide the client through it. So that that's it, it entirely depends on the client. Uh, I do say that clients in 2021 are far more engaged with ESG, 14,001 and 50,001 than they were 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I do see a lot more commitments at board level and the organisations I work with, the smallest client's got three employees. The largest manages $250 billion worth of investments and it's all points in between. But I do see that the senior management responsibility I don't know if it's the current version of ISO 14001 driving this, where you can't palm off top management responsibility. Oh, it's the management representative. It's the quality manager's responsibility. I don't know if it's that's, that that's driven it. Or I think, I think they've realised that they need to be doing it. It's not an add-on. It's not a bolt-on. You know, I deal with FTSE-listed firms, New York Stock, Stock Exchange-listed firms, and their environmental and, so, and social governance is critical to how these businesses organise. 
and it's really it's really refreshing for environmental professionals in the marketplace that you know 15 years ago you were kind of pushing the agenda and now you've got willing participants and it, it's 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 obviously it's good for the, the planet good for the environment but it's good for our profession as well i could quite agree um and and i think that's um opinion and uh, experience of what people have seen over the last i don't know how many years really um but it's certainly changing which is yeah. is excellent um there's a lot to be done obviously and mm. and we're talking about you know uh professions and sectors that, all of them really because they all have an impact don't they uh, yeah. and they all have a role to play in um creating a, a more sustainable greener future really which will help future generations and ourselves hopefully if we do it quick enough um so the next thing i wanted to look at really is the surveying side yeah um so you met, you mentioned you're an active member of RICS and so on. Um, and you're going to have to forgive my lack of knowledge here. And I must admit, I'm going to exaggerate my lack of knowledge for the podcast, but um, I, I've just been interested to find out a little bit more about the surveying side. So my knowledge is kind of limited. Um, and I must admit, my first kind of glimpse of surveying is when I was at Coventry University and I walked past one of the faculty buildings where every day there was always a group of students standing outside in high-vis jackets with their big yellow tripods. Um, and they were, they looked like they were measuring things. Um, but I'm, I'm highly assuming there's a bit more to surveying than that. Well, the, the Latin motto of our ICS is est modus in rebus, which is there is measure in all things. Okay. And to describe survey, that's how to do it. Look, we're a, a broad technical organisation. Traditionally, I come from a, a mineral surveying background. So my degree was an RICS accredited degree in mineral estate management, which had a, a very heavy environmental content. So it was very heavy on environmental law, planning development. I did a placement year working for an open cast coal operator. Uh, so the experience I had at university on this RICS accredited degree was superb. And yes, we did bash the odd lights and... We used it, you know, measuring on a hill on a Friday morning. And then, then we went underground to measure because it was a, a minerals degree. Uh, I found the skills transferable, you know, into the civil engineering industry and then into consultancy. But in terms of RICS, you've got to think it's a very broad profession from people who value property. How much is this building worth? How much will it be worth in five years' time? To building surveyors who are basically building doctors, whether they're assessing the home you're thinking of buying or commercial buildings, you know, finding problems, identifying defects and recommending improvements to buildings. There's rural surveyors who deal with all matters agricultural, whether it's buying or selling farms, sustainable farming, farming methods, valuing cattle, quantity surveyors who measure the fabric of buildings. So, they're, I think quantity surveys are the real drivers in the profession for carbon reduction because they quantify construction projects. So they can calculate easier than the rest of us the embodied carbon content of the construction materials. Then there's chartered environmental surveyors and we're an even more broad brush, so quite general practitioners such as myself or the chartered environmental surveyors dealing land quality and contaminated land and renewable energy. Uh, I don't think anybody else now, uh, antiques and fine arts. I've never actually met an antique and fine arts survey, but there are quite a healthy community out there. Mm. Facility management surveys who 
you know, manage the buildings and during the pandemic, you know, all facilities managers have been at the, the front end of things. Apologies if I've missed anybody out. Geomatic surveyors who, you know, measure land and they're the ones you may see out with the field lights. And I've probably offended one or two professional groups by missing them out, but that roughly covers the profession. And, you know, there still is a, a healthy minerals section who, you know, it's not just about, you know, it did, was heavily in the past about the coal industry, but it has adapted to, you know, about renewable energy and waste from energy. So technically, I hope I'm not spun this on too much, but technically we are a very technically diverse profession mm. and diverse in terms of nationalities. We're all around the world. There's, I think there's 130,000 members, so a large organisation. Uh, and they've got members on six continents. So in yeah. terms of a global presence, that's why our ICS are at the top table for, you know, World Built Environment Forum. And you know the lot and COP twenty one. That's why our ICS has a, a collective. We we were at the front of it in the past. We said we probably 10, 15 years ago. We're slightly following in terms of the environment. And I'm really proud to say I think at the moment we're actually leading the agenda. Okay, well, that's, that's so I, my my knowledge has improved somewhat in the last couple of minutes. So that's good. It's a, it's quite a, a range of, of, in terms of surveying professionals, there is a massive range there. Um, and I, I, I can only assume that quite a few would have impacts on, you know, the decisions that they make would have impacts on the environment. And that's, that's going to be hugely broad as well. Um, but we won't go, we won't delve too much into that, but I probably will touch on it in a bit. Um, now that you've mentioned the array of different, options there are for surveying and we've already mentioned the pandemic a couple of times how is the surveying world which is obviously again quite broad how is, how is it dealing with the covid 9 pandemic 19 pandemic i think i think it's twofold first of all is delivering our work how do we inspect buildings when we're not mm. allowed in and yes rics have given some emergency guidance for you know, gathering valuation evidence but surveys are incredibly adaptable you know, for example, I, I've delivered work in during the pandemic in Italy and France. I would have loved to have gone. A bit of winter sun would have been nice next to Lake Garda, but unfortunately, I couldn't get anywhere near. So, you know, technology has, it's really pushed technology to the fore. And, you know, I can carry out inspections via video all around the world. The second one is how we use the built environment. And I think this is the biggest challenge, not just during the pandemic, but how we recover from it. There's lots of unoccupied office space at the moment in city centres. Don't forget, companies have had to demobilise these offices, secure them, and they've got to keep rent being collected and also being maintained. And don't forget, there's been transactions going on during this. I, I know, you know commercial property surveys, and the market's kept going. Which, which has been a fantastic thing. But, you know, the big challenge is now, and I was discussing this with a client yesterday, is the reoccupation of offices, how we use the space, how we use the place. And this is going to be the big challenge. And we're not just talking about COVID security, so working patterns, biosecurity, working densities, but also any future working patterns. I really don't think that it's we're going to ever return to everybody working in the office nine to five, despite what Goldman Sachs say in the news this morning. So I think surveyors are going to be at the fore of adaptability and 
functionality of definitely in the commercial property world. In the residential world, I don't think surveyors have been as busy, to be honest, with the you know the mini boom in the housing market caused by the stamp duty holiday. Mm. All the private practices I speak to have been relatively buoyant, which is good. You know, during the financial crash, unfortunately, we did lose one or two firms. Yeah. Thankfully, so far during the pandemic, we haven't lost anybody business-wise. So I think that's that's quite healthy. And I think that's all across consultancy, you know, other environmental professionals. Everybody seems, apart from the, the miserable restrictions put on us and, you know, things could be worse, to be honest, uh, I think everybody's really reasonably buoyant that they've got through this difficult year and now there's some optimism. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, lots of people are adapting. Um, obviously, a lot of people are better off than others, but um, it's it's a challenge that we're all continuing to face and uh, wishing everyone yeah. the best with uh, getting through that from a personal perspective and a business perspective, really. So um, moving on from COVID, we'll try not to mention it again. Um, why did you choose to do um, surveying and the environmental consulting side? What Did one come before the other? Or the, the, the surveying side come on about 16. When I got over the, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a rock star. <laughs> or, uh, uh, working on that. It, it was my geography master at Queen Elizabeth's Grammar School in Blackburn, who, you know, I'm still in touch with him. And I was going to do a geography degree because I, I found it interesting, especially the physical geography side of it. And I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really want to be stuck in a classroom for three or four years. And one day in the lesson, he says, this, who remembers this chap from last year? He's done this, he's doing a degree at Sheffield City Polytechnic, and I am showing my age because I did go to a polytechnic. And he's doing this course called Mineral Estate Management. So that sounds interesting. So I got the brochure, and it showed two guys underground, and I thought, that looks different. I'll apply. So I applied, and, as you did, you know, just apply for university. And... The course leader, who was a chartered surveyor, rung me up and said, come and see us, come and see us in Sheffield. So I went down and he sold it to me. Basically, he put his arm around me and said, look, we want to give people a professional education as well as an academic education. So I thought, well, I'm getting two for the price of one here. Uh, and they really made me feel welcome. And I, I think that was a really good introduction to the world surveying. It is a welcoming family type network and you know you keep the same you, know, you make lots of good friends through it and that was the reason why I went surveying just the, the profession in terms of Sheffield Polytechnic Sheffield Hallam University welcoming me as prospective undergraduates and when I got on the course the course was really difficult it was kind of 60 70 hours studying a week so it was none of the usual students frivolities and they treat it as a job it was a pretty it was pretty intense degree, but they treat it like the workplace. So there was no, you know, molly coddle or anything like that. It was quite a harsh environment uh, because it was the minerals industry and it, it's, it's quite a rough and tumble industry. So then, you know, I was doing a surveying degree and you did, there's a lot of environmental content. So we start off with the basic surveillance of valuation and landlord and tenant law, a lot of the legal side of it. And in the second year, we started doing environmental law. And I loved it. 
Mm. And so doing planning development, which I'm really interested. The third year, we all vanished, went on placements. And I went working for a Omcast coal mining company. And I was you know, doing all the environmental monitoring for them and negos- you know, dealing with angry residents and really put in at the deep end. And I really enjoyed it. So I thought, you know, this, this is, it interests me. It's relevant. Went back to do the fourth year of the degree and it was, there was even more environmental content. And that really gave me the transferable skills to take it mm. from the minerals industry to the railway industry and then the railway civil engineering industry, then into private practice. So it's these transferable skills. And I always laugh that I still use some of the same techniques I learned at university over 25 years ago. I graduated in 1996, so it's quite a long time ago. And yeah, it's the skills have carried on with me, which is useful. <laughs> Very useful indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's not always the case that people uh, do at university what they what they end up doing. Um, mm. I am a case in point in that, it's fair to say. Um, but so you mentioned there, obviously, the surveying side came from the degree and your geographical kind of knowledge and, and that kind of thing and into the uh, minerals and, and so on. Um, so taking all that learning forwards into what you do now, how does how does that surveying background knowledge and obviously what you've developed over the years, uh, how does that result in positive impacts for the environment? Is it a few different areas that that links to? It is. Yeah. It's, it's first of all having a, a relevant and up-to-date environmental knowledge and be able to demonstrate this professionally. But it's also the traditional surveying subjects that may crop up in conversations. You know, recently, I've you know, been getting involved in landlord and tenant matters again, so I've had to refresh my landlord and tenant law knowledge by going on some going on a course again. Mm. But it's that background to the commercial, especially in the commercial property world and facilities management, where there are contractual relationships in place between landlord and tenant that do have a big impact on the environment. And, you know, even how things, you know, sub-metering, energy control in buildings with, with tenants, all these things that are entwined in landlord and tenant agreements have a big impact on the environment. Okay, interesting. And do you feel like you're making a difference in your what you do with your clients from an environment point of view? From, from, from two reasons. I tend to make it deliverable for clients, something that they're not, they may historically have been found quite dry. Uh, I have made applicable to them hmm. and delivered results, whether it be reduction of waste, diversion of waste from landfill, and actually showing physical data. So yes, you've improved your performance. Energy management, you know, improving performance, you know, energy performance indicators. Look, you're improving as a business. Now they can use this, first of all, in any carbon reporting and with SECAR, that's you know mandatory. And secondly, in the marketplace, making themselves more attractive businesses through the ESG strategy, through the corporate governance. And really, that started driving businesses. It's been quite, I think the last three years has been critical for businesses, how they've changed and how sustainability is driving them rather than it being something they had to do. Now it's something they want to do. Okay. Well, that's always a good, um, a good change, really. Um, 
And I must admit, from a from a society for the environment point of view, impression of registrations would possibly go in the other way. We want to move it from a something that people might like to do in terms of gaining their chartership, something that they really should do, kind of thing. So yeah. it's a little bit of a difference there, I think. But um, what I know you probably can't talk about all of your projects, but are there any particular projects that stand out that you're able to talk about in any way or? I think over the last year, uh, supporting a client with certification in the EU when we can't go there, and the certification body can't go there. Right. Uh, we did. It, it was quite interesting how you know, we set this off quite as an unknown thing. Well, we've got we've got a site in Italy and a site in Paris, and how on earth are we going to audit them? Well, we can audit them via video. We'll worry about the stage two audit. Well, we'll be out of the pandemic then. It'll all be over with. We'll be fine. And when it's the second lockdown, it's kind of, hold on a minute. So the certification body we dealt with was excellent. And then we said, look, we're going to change the scope. Again, adaptability. So rather than the physical on-site application of facilities management, it's how the organisation managed that from their office in London. So we still got certification, not necessarily with the address on the certificate because we can't physically go. So I think the way we've adapted and de- carried on delivering for clients during the pandemic. That, that's been the recent highlight for me and something I'm, you know, I'm quite proud of. Delivered the work, made the clients happy and not let them down in, in a time where we could have gone, well, you know, can't get the odds there, sorry. No, we've got to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, remember when Brexit was a problem? Crikey. Well, you know, you know what? I've got, a, I've got a good friend who's who works in business continuity. And he said, companies are coping really well with the pandemic because they kind of got ready for Brexit with business continuity. Mm. And it just never quite happened. So they were already put a lot of things in place. So yeah. when the pandemic hit, it wasn't such, it was a shock, but they, they, they had the business continuity arrangements in place. So, yeah. Mm. But, Oops, sorry. So, and going back to all the career highlights, probably bragging a little bit, the, the big highlight was in 2018 when I met uh, Majesty of the Queen as part of RICS's 150th anniversary. And without, you know, you're not allowed to, as Prime Ministers have talked about, you're not allowed to discuss what you talked to Her Majesty about, but, you know, the environment and sustainability agenda did come up during our brief chat, which was like, wow. I wasn't expecting to meet her on the day, and it's kind of, there you go, you meet her. Oh, I'm glad I didn't know actually. I had to slept the night before, but you know, she was lovely and engaging and interested. Yeah. I was really, you know, really interested in everybody. And yeah, fantastic. Wow. So you've met me once and you've met the Queen once. I have, so that, yeah. That so, is quite. So when the Society for the Environment is 150 years old, we'll, we'll get her in there. Excellent. Well, we've, uh, we've got 133 <laughs> years to go, I think, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> excellent so let's talk about we haven't really mentioned too much about you the fact that you're actually a chartered environmentalist mm-hmm. um but so, so why did you become a cm i was a chartered environmental surveyor mm. i was I, I had mrics after my name there's this is a bit, a bit of a quirk from RICS, a bit of a, a legacy hangover. There's things called alternative chartered designations. So whilst I can call myself a chartered environmental surveyor, I've no bit of paper that says that. I just have a certificate saying you are a chartered surveyor. Mm-hmm. And 
that was a reason so I could get some professional re- recognition within RICS. And it just felt like a natural progression, to be honest. I could have done it via IEMA, but I thought, no, RICS is, sorry, IEMA, but RICS is my main, my main professional body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let, let's do it through them and promote it from within. And okay. I think a lot of, about creative development, I think a lot of charter surveyors are quite hesitant to do more qualifications straight after qualifying because the, the assessment of professional competence is a bit of a grind. It's it's fairly hard going. So qualifying as a chartered surveyor, you're not really in the mood to do anything else for quite a while. Uh, but I, you know, I'd recommend to any freshly qualified chartered surveyor who's eligible to apply for chartered environmentalist, just carry on while you're in the mood, carry on. Okay. It's well worth it. Is there a bit of transferability between the two um, in terms of the experience and, and the competence that you're requiring? Very much so. Uh, a lot of the, the ethics hmm. for the assessment of professional competence is quite a big emphasis on RICS, rules of conduct for members, rules of conduct for firms. And there's very big similarities between the SOCEMV rules of conduct and RICSs. And... I have put a, a, a video on free video on YouTube just discussing this and why you know chartered surveyors should, you know, it's a natural progression. I do think it's a natural progression. Uh, but the reason I did it, I just thought it's another qualification that I can go for. Mm. Okay. And what I have and- found since I qualified though, it's a great harmonizer. I've gone into organizations where they've been SIOM and IEMA members and thought, why have we got a chartered surveyor working? You're a bunch of like theodolite bashes and, you know, inspecting houses and stuff. But I found out, it's like, explains what I did. I found the CM has been a great harmonizer between all the licensed bodies. Mm. And I think that's the big benefit of the qualification. Within SOCM, it's technically probably as diverse as any organisation, professional organisation out there. But I think it just harmonises us all. We're part of one family. And as I said before, during the pandemic, you know, the, the IMCM campaign was superb. And I, I learned more about my colleagues within CM through it. It was really good. Good. Well, I'm glad that helps. And I'm pleased you said that, that you know, that... Um... The, the, the CM registration and the other registrations, I guess, um, they, you know, they do provide that um, continuity and, and uh, you, you know what kind of, you know you're talking to someone who yeah. understands different elements of the environment. It might not necessarily be the same things because, like you say, it's so diverse, but um, you can still have start that conversation. You're both chartered environmentalists. You have a, you have a, um, um, a, a, What's the phrase I'm looking for? I don't know. A um, a similar view on on things, probably, uh, uh, and uh, a, a similar goal to what you're trying to aim for, I suppose. Definitely. Um, Any charter surveyors thinking of going for it, you know, it isn't another APC. When I did mine ten years ago, whenever I did it, it wasn't really. I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be an interview and it's going to be a, a, an assessment as the assessment of professional competencies. Mm. It's an hour of extreme stress, I've got to say, as an assessor. Uh, That's the way to sell it. 
No, it's, 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 <laughs> the well, the well for the well prepared candidate, it is more of a discussion. For the not very well prepared candidate, it can be slightly more taxing. But the the, the chartered environmentalist final you know, the, the interview with RICS was just chat and a nice discussion. We explored various sustainability concepts and it in oh is, is that we don't yeah, right, fine, you know it, it was a really it was actually an enjoyable process which not all assessments are but you know i, I found that becoming a choice environmentalist was an, an enjoyable and not only useful but enjoyable process well after the rics um um process which you mentioned is quite intense and so on um the cm is probably a little bit less intense uh, which will will we'll, Come as a, a light relief, possibly, once you've done the RSCS side of things. But when you look at the competences of SOCEMV, the competences are very similar. Mm. So I don't think, I think, by, even though it's less intense, I don't think it's less rigorous. Mm. If you, Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, being entirely open and honest, there's not a huge amount of chartered environmentalists at RICS. No, and and you've there's a few there's there is a, a good few, but uh, you know in comparison to other professional bodies, there aren't many. And you've mentioned that you know one of those reasons might be that people have gone through the RSCS process and think I'm going to have a bit of a break now. Um, but why do you, and you've also mentioned that you know some people might think ah oh, well you're a you're a surveyor why why are you a chartered environmentalist? Are those kind of perceptions in the way? Do you think or I I think I think that. It- it's a nail on the head, to be honest. Uh, it is an interesting one. It, it is mm. disappointing, I think, how many, you know, a few CMs there are out of RICS members. You know, it is well publicised within RICS. Uh, the main driver, I think, is if you apply to be an RICS fellow, having an RICS certification, which CM falls under, is one of the qualifying criteria to be a fellow. So if anybody is up, I would say this this to prospective chartered environmentalists, if you ever want to go for RICS fellowship, CMV will act as one of the criteria. So that that's a that's a, a big incentive for for MRICS charters today is to get CMV. Okay. Did not know that. Um and through that conversation, this, this is absolutely isn't to dig at RCS because they are a fantastic organisation, but uh, it's just one of those things that we're looking to explore a little bit more. So, um, I think as an organisation, it has had to change over the last year. It's gone to a, a digital-first approach, hmm. and there's a very good knowledge platform that's got some very good sustainability content on it for members, which has never been there before. Uh, yeah. They use a Yammer platform, and there's lots of good professional discussions and engagements on there. So I think as a profession, we're in a better place to discuss sustainability internally. About five years ago, RICS did some leading edge work with UN Global Compact, did it, launched it to great fanfare, and it hid on the website for about three years. And it was quite disappointing after all the hard work the organisation had done with the UN, and it was a... a a toolkit for sustainable development in for land construction and real estate. But late in 20, I think about 2018, they had a campaign called Value the Planet, which was to say, look, we do value the planet, you know, not just professionally, but as an organization. So, you know, there have been some great strides probably in the last two or three years internally mm. to promote the sustainability agenda to members. And now there's the, the Yammer platform where 
you know, we can go and discuss it. And it's not on LinkedIn and the usual, you know, endless discussion trails on LinkedIn. It is a, a professional forum. So, you know, I, th- I think this is where the, the digital virtual world is working for us. Okay. I might speak to you a little bit more about Yammer. I've heard of Yammer. Uh, quite a few organizations use it. Um, but yeah, the, the value of the planet um, campaign and there's all sorts of different information on there, which is really interesting. So if you are wanting to know a little bit more about how um, the surveying world value the planet, go onto the RSCS website, have a look at that. It's, it is very interesting indeed. Um, now we've got, I'm going to wrap up now because we're, we're going to run out of time, I think, but Couple of questions. What's next for you? What's next for me? Right. I'm quite excited about Terracarta at the moment, mm. which was launched in January this year by Israel Linus, the Prince of Wales. And this looks at sustainability through using responsible capitalism. And it goes beyond Paris Climate Agreements, UN Global Compact. And this is something that excites me greatly. So I've signed my company up to it. And so I would encourage anybody who runs an organisation who has a you know has a responsible approach to the environment to look up Terra Carta and sign up for it. It is free and it's becoming quite a good network. It, it comes from the is the, the Prince's Sustainable Markets Initiative, and I think having Prince Charles at the front, he was probably one of the original environmental thought leaders. So he's been talking about it for fifty years. So I, I think it's just yeah. I think it's a very exciting place to be. Another mm. for the future, again, encourage more chartered surveyors to become chartered environmentalists and to come out of the pandemic a better performing professional than I went into it. I was in, I was working in London when Lombardy got locked down. I thought, it's not going to happen here. Two weeks later, we're all working from home. I was asked to set up a call on MS Teams and how do I do that? Uh, <laughs> we all learn very quickly, but I think we're all going to come out of it more agile and smarter working professionals. Yes, it's been a, a, a terrible catastrophe for humankind, but I think you know there will some there will be some positives that come out of it. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of <laughs> learning how to use Zoom and MS Teams and so on. On everyone's annual review this year, what, what have you learned this year? I've learned how to do Zoom calls and Microsoft Team calls. And so <laughs> I think it's going to be a quite a common one. Yes. And you, you mentioned um, Prince Charles there. I just wanted to mention that he is one of our honorary fellows. So, which is it's because of his 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 long lasting work on uh, on promoting and and uh, doing good things for the environment. Really, he's, he's been quite the ambassador. So, um. Last question, which possibly links into Prince Charles. Um, if you're able to influence world leaders, which I imagine Prince Charles would class as, um, what would be the one thing that you would do? Could be anything. Run a small business for a day. You would ask them to run a small bit. Okay. Yes. Oh. Reconcile my accounts on zero, <laughs> uh, and just and just realise that you know all the the work that you don't see. So we're swimming. We're synchronized swimmers and we're all very elegant above the water, but below the water, the legs are thrashing away. Uh, yeah, yeah, get ground yourself in reality, yeah. travel to work on the train if it's safe to do so. Security comes into it, but yeah, and talk to people. And I think that's why Prince Charles is such a, a valid leader for Terra Carta is that 
he's, I've never met him, unfortunately, but he seems very good at talking to people and he will talk to people. So I think, you know, mm. yeah, and he's the original role model. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, um, would be a really useful um, activity for uh, world leaders to do, just to, you know, step into other people's shoes and, and try and run their, run, try and run a business for a day. We'll um, swap. We'll, this means swapping. Oh, swapping. swapping. Okay. The, the, the penthouse apartment for a day and get the show off in the museum. Yeah. <laughs> I see. There's more to this than we first thought. Um, well, thank you very much for your thank time you. today, David. I very much hope we meet again soon, whenever that might be in whatever My form wife. that might be in. Um, but thank you very much. And uh, we'll Appreciate see you again it. soon. Look after yourself. If you're curious to hear more about the Chartered Environmentalist, Registered Environmental Practitioner or Registered Environmental Technician registrations, please take a look at our How to Become and Why Become recorded webinars on our website, socenv.org.uk. Or you can find them on our YouTube channel, just search for Society for the Environment, where you'll also find a variety of topical environmental webinar series and various different insights from our registrants. You can also follow us on Twitter at socenv underscore HQ to keep up to date with all of the latest goings on at the Society. We release a new episode of Envcast on the first Wednesday of each month. So if you're interested in future podcasts, please subscribe to hear more from us. You can subscribe and review through a variety of different platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and CastBox. Thank you very much for listening or watching on YouTube. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Envcast next month. <laughs>